0: Today we continue in our study of the book of 1 Peter. The past couple of weeks we've been talking about this theme of heaven and earth. We're called to be exiles on the earth. We belong in heaven, but now today we live on earth. Our salvation is in heaven, but now today we live it out on earth. So Peter has just explained the source of our assurance, the fact that it is in heaven In Christ, even as we are exiles in the earth. And now he turns to the natural question. What does faithful response look like? Faithful response to bring heaven to earth. So let's pray together and we'll turn to the scriptures. Father, we thank you for the gift of your word. For the assurance that it gives us. For the hope that it gives us. Father, would you teach us to obey And would you nurture in us the virtues that it calls us to, to hope and faith and love. And make us new before you. Father, your word is powerful. We ask that you would pour out your power on us today. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's read together, beginning in 1 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 13. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded. but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this this word is the good news that was preached to you. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander like newborn infants. Long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. This is the word of the Lord. The grass truly does wither and the flower does fall, but the word... The Lord remains forever. Amen. Have you ever been uh, told to do something with no direction? Maybe you've, you've been in school or something and, and you've been asked to do a project and you didn't know what to do. Um, it can be a daunting thing. And just one example from my life. The, the first funeral that I ever did, I had no preparation for. Um, our pastor was out of town. We had a young man who had been coming to our church and, and he died suddenly and tragically our pastor was out of the country and so I was called upon to do this funeral I didn't know the man very well I hadn't been very long in his presence and I didn't know where he stood before God but I was called to do this funeral and we got it done it wasn't pretty it was a messy tragic situation and I was in way over my head I was terrified of what I was doing and it's situations like that where you want an instruction manual Right? When when hard things come to us in life and we're asked to do these difficult things, it'd be nice if you had a to-do list, a checklist of things to do. Maybe you haven't officiated a funeral before, but I'm sure you've been in similar situations. We make hard decisions about our health, make hard decisions about our children. Well, what if I told you that your job is to make heaven present on earth? What if, what if I told you that your job is to bring heaven down to earth? What would you do? As you remember, this is what Peter is asking us to do. It's, he's calling us as elect exiles, those who are chosen to wander across the earth, to, to be colonies of heaven. The church is a little colony of heaven. And so we face this problem. If our call is to make heaven on earth, how do we do it? That's a daunting task. That's a difficult task. In worship last week, we spent a little bit of time toward the beginning of the service reflecting on uh, 1 Corinthians 13. In 1 Corinthians 13, Paul gives us uh, what some have called the three theological virtues, faith, hope, and love. And here Peter gives us these same virtues in a slightly different order. Hope, faith, and love. He's giving us a progression through each of these things to answer that fundamental question. How do we do what God has called us to do? How do we do what he has called us to do? And the answer is this. Heaven comes to earth when we cultivate hope, grounded in faith, and nourished by love. Heaven comes to earth when we cultivate hope, grounded in faith, and nourished by love. So let's look at each of these in turn. First, heaven comes to earth when we cultivate hope. So Peter begins with this command, a command to hope, to set your hope on God. And notice how he frames it from two perspectives. First, he talks about our minds, our intellects. Then he talks about our desires and our passions. We are to have our minds set on the hope of Christ and our desires set on the holiness of God. The main thing that he wants us to understand, though, is that we must begin with the end in mind. You've probably heard that before. But in order to properly obey God's call, we have to have our focus upward. Now, I'm not a a huge sports guy, but when college football season comes around, I become a sports guy. Um, But something college football coaches talk about a lot is focus. What you focus on makes a big difference. A, A winning team, coaches will tell you this, a winning team is always looking ahead to the play in front of them. You have a goal in mind. Maybe it's to get the first down. Maybe it's to get a touchdown. Maybe it's to win the game. They can't pay attention to the scores. They can't pay attention to the play that's behind them. They can't pay attention to the fans. They have to keep their eyes on the desired outcome. And they have to do things that will achieve that outcome. This is what Peter is calling us to. The phrase, preparing your mind for action, Uh, It's literally gird up the loins of your mind. It's an idiom that means get ready for work. Get ready for action. He's telling us to fix our eyes forward. To set our hopes on the grace that will be revealed at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Which, by the way, is a reference to Jesus' second coming. When he returns to the earth. And what is this grace? Holiness. He quotes Leviticus here. He says, You shall be holy. For I am holy. Notice that it doesn't say be holy. It says you shall be holy. It's not a command, although there's a command in there. But primarily it's a promise. Peter calls us to be holy today because it's in the future. It's based on the fact that Jesus will grant us perfect holiness in the future at his return. It's a promise that we will be holy. So set your hope on that grace. Our tendency is to look for other people, to look to other people for our hope, to understand our way of life. We compare ourselves to the wrong things, but we need to consider our conformity to God, our conformity to to his plan and his ultimate goals. We fix our mind and our eyes forward on Jesus Christ, who is holy. And as we do, we will be more and more conformed to his image. With this focus. Don't look back at your past mistakes. Don't look at what could have been. Look to the future hope that you have in Christ. When all your sin and misery will be put to death. Set your hope on Jesus. Heaven comes to earth when we cultivate hope. Heaven comes to earth when we cultivate hope. Grounded in faith. Look at verse 17. Verse 17 says, If you call on him as father, who judges impartially, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Now, have you ever noticed that, with some very rare exceptions, basically everyone believes in heaven? Even people who reject the idea of an afterlife or heaven and hell suddenly change their minds when they have a loved one die. The most ardent atheist in the face of death becomes a believer. When you ask most people, even Christians, why this is the case, why eternal life is real, why we can have heaven, most people point to good works. We did a survey at Mississippi State's campus a couple years ago, and most students who claimed they were Christians said this, that their good works, the, the good things that they did were the reason they were able to enter into heaven. For some people, it's even worse than that. It's, it's good intentions get you into heaven. A recent survey of of evangelicals, these are Bible-believing Christians, said that 60% of evangelicals believe that God accepts the worship of all religions. And so our basis for understanding why we have a hope is, is all wrong. There's this idea floating around that if you just kind of do some of the right things, if you just kind of do some religious rituals and try to avoid hurting people, that that's enough. But Peter points somewhere totally different. Peter's first section is about the future hope, but now he grounds that in our past and present realities. He reminds us again that we are elect exiles. He reminds us of the foundation of our faith. That's why he talks about calling on the Father. That's covenant language. In the previous section, Peter referred to us as obedient children, and now he doubles down. We are obedient children of our Father who is in heaven. The basis of our salvation is not the things we do. It's not our good intentions. Instead, it's that we actually belong to God. You can have hope, Peter says, because you were ransomed, redeemed, purchased by Christ from your futile ways with his blood. You can have hope not because of what you do, not because of uh, this general idea of mercy, but because Jesus Christ was made manifest in the flesh for your sake. That's why Peter says we need to conduct ourselves with fear, because we have a proper understanding of who God is. We fear God because we trust Him. Fear, by the way, is a synonym for worship. Um, we worship God because we know that we owe Him an unanswerable debt. We fear Him. Because if he judges us according to our deeds, then we have no hope. Instead, we need to rely on the precious blood of Christ. We must place our faith in God who has made all this come about. See, it's, it's really easy to believe in the hope of salvation. To believe that there's something good after this life. But it's much harder to have faith in the finished work of Christ. In fact, it takes a miracle of the Holy Spirit to bring that about in our hearts when you become aware of just how holy God is and just how sinful and wicked you are, then you realize how dangerous it is to come before him. But that's what he calls us to do. He calls us to enter to his presence. He tells us that he's a merciful father, that he has purchased us with the blood of his son. Is that the basis for your hope? Is it your faith in the finished work of Christ? Or is it something else? Our hope of salvation must come out of a complete and utter awe in the holiness and mercy of God. Not in what we do, not in what we bring to the table, but but what Jesus has done for us. So heaven comes to earth when we cultivate hope grounded in faith. Heaven comes to earth when when we cultivate hope grounded in faith and nourished by love. Look at verse 22, he says, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God for all flesh is like grass and all its glory, like a flower of grass, grass withers and the flower falls. But the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So Peter has set up two poles. He's given us a finish line. The hope that will be revealed, the grace that will be revealed at the end. And he's also reminded us of our past and present faith in the finished work of Christ. But how do we get from point A to point B? How do we get from the faith that we have now to the hope that we have in the future? Peter's answer is love. Love. In verse 22, uh, Peter actually uses two different words for love. The first is brotherly love, or love of the brethren. And the second is abiding, unconditional, covenant love. You're probably familiar with the word agape, and that's what this is. So there are degrees here. We move from a mere human love, a love of one another in a human way, to a deeper, divine, unconditional, perfect love. Where does this love come from? It comes from what Peter calls obedience to the truth, which is a faithful response to the gospel. The truth is the work that Christ has done, the revelation that he gives us, and our obedience is a faithful response. And in verse 23, he refers to that same obedience as new birth. Because, because of what God has done, because of the love of God planted in our hearts, we love one another. We love because the love of God has been planted in us to grow up into a deeper love. You may have heard the, the phrase from C.S. Lewis, uh, men without chests. Has anybody heard that before, men without chests? Um, most people hear that, and they tend to think that C.S. Lewis is talking about um, courage, right? Men without chests are those who are, who are afraid. But if you follow his argument, if you, if you look at where he's, look at that quote in context— You'll see that what he's really talking about is men without love. Men who don't have affections. To to be a man without a chest is to be a man without a heart. And part of Lewis' point is that the modern world, which is very scientific, is very materialistic, it, it steals away all of our wonder that we have in the world. By virtue of you being born in the year that you were born, uh, you can't escape this world. It's, it's what we, the air that we breathe, the water that we live in. But there is a way to get our love back. There is a way to get our chests back. And it's through the word. Being born again, we no longer live according to the flesh, but according to the word and spirit. Paul reminds us in Romans 8, he says, For those who live according to the flesh, set their minds, same language, set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Peter echoes this. Continuing in verse 1 of chapter 2, he says, So put away all malice, all deceit, and hypocrisy, and envy, and all slander, and like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Now my translation, I'm using the English Standard Version, says pure spiritual milk. But I know that some of you have the King James Version, And it will say, sincere milk of the word. Now, without getting into all the dirty details of the Greek there, I think the King James is is probably a better way to put that. The milk that causes us to grow up into salvation, the food that we feed on, is the word of God. Now, what does this have to do with love? Answer, Peter is telling us to conform our loves to the word. We are to love what the scripture tells us to love. And the only way we can know what to love, the only way we can know how to properly order our loves is by turning to the word. If you are starved of the word, you will not know what to love. So the question for you is, what do you love? The world would love to answer that question for you. It's got a whole lot of options available to you. We've got some false guides, we've got money, we've got immorality, all those are available to you to love. But God calls us To love Christ. And to love one another. Our first priority in love. We can love our families, we can love our nation, we can love our communities. But our first priority in love is the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. And his bride, the church. So once again, how do we cultivate heaven on earth? First, fix your eyes on the hope of the resurrection through Jesus Christ, who makes us perfectly holy, who sanctifies us before God. Second, place your faith in the finished work of Christ, who has redeemed you by his blood. And third, love Christ and his church. One of the scandals of Christianity, the thing that makes Christianity so hard for people to to wrap their heads around, is that the whole thing is just so simple. God's not asking us to do a series of complicated rituals. He doesn't require that we all go off to some far-flung mission field. Instead, he calls us to simple hope in the future, simple faith, and simple love. A faithful response to the gospel looks like those things. Now, if you want to go be a far-flung missionary, I encourage you, go for it. But that's not what's going to move the needle in most people's lives. The answer is these things. So where is your hope? Where is your faith? Where is your love? My prayer is that you would be conformed to God in these things. Pursue his purposes. Pursue his plans first. By that, we can bring heaven here to earth. We can see the gospel be proclaimed. We can see the world changed. In the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray.